Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. You guys, we're meet me in Mark chapter 8. We're going through the book of Mark. And um, we've covered a lot of ground so far. You've been tracking with us. I've, I've, my prayer has been that you find yourself in the, the story of the disciples, that you would see these are uh, regular men and uh, the women that Jesus has been around, that they're just they're people like us. They're sons, daughters. They have families. They come from families. They have jobs. They have fears, stress, challenges. And up until this point, we see the disciples have dropped their nets and left everything to follow Jesus. And they've been trying to figure out who he is. They think they know who he is. But then today, at this point, they really hit a fork in the road, and things will not be the same after today. And the reason is, is because they've left everything to follow him, but it becomes clear today that Jesus is now telling them where he's going, and that's to a cross. And that just does something to them. Yeah, I'm following you, but I don't know if I signed up to follow you to a cross. And we learned something today about the Christian faith that doesn't get talked about a lot, and we have a generation of Christians that are just stagnant because what we hear in the gospel message is true, right? That if you uh, confess your sins, that you realize that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sins, and if we confess our sins and turn to him by faith and repent, that anyone who believes is forgiven. Glory to God, and we all get to go to heaven. And if we just stop right there, but Jesus says no, it's more to that. That the gospel message is about the great exchange. I take your life and sin upon myself and pay for it, but now you take upon me your life and my life. And there's an exchange there, and my life is now lived through you which means that Christ in you, the hope of glory, that your life is now a crucified life. We have a bunch of Christians who think that coming to Jesus entails no suffering. It doesn't cost them anything. In the last few weeks, we've seen these struggles between the disciples of walking by faith and trusting God to provide, but now Jesus is basically, he's like, look, I'm getting closer to the cross. I'm going to make a lot of things plain, and y'all got to make some decisions. And it rocks their world, y'all. I don't know how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't know where you are currently with him, but I pray that you would feel just as uncomfortable as they did. Nobody gets a pass on this one. And the same questions that he proposed to them are the same questions you have to answer this morning. And so I don't want you to just hear this as another sermon or this is Pastor John preaching. We're serving a real and living God. Jesus is a real person. He's not a concept. He's alive. He is God. And he's going to call you to make some decisions today if you're going to follow him. So the title of this morning's message is Crucified with Christ. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live. My prayer is that you will know what that means and that you will wrestle with some tensions this morning. Let me pray for you. 
Lord, it's easy to sit back and look at your agony on the cross for our sins, for our shame and our suffering. And then for us to skip and dance down the street with joy, as we should, because we are forgiven. But God, would you forgive us for the way we try to just coast the glory? We truly don't know what it means to follow you. We have this westernized American gospel that offers us a cozy pillow on the couch that we could just sit down quietly and peacefully that doesn't cost us nothing and we wonder why so many people aren't coming to faith in Christ. I pray for transformation to happen this morning, that we would find ourselves in the story of these disciples. And as you challenge them this morning, I pray that we would have a reset. Help us not to be so arrogant to feel like this message is for somebody else who should be here. Or that we've been walking with you so long that we know everything because we're so mature in our own sight. Would we wrestle with some things this morning? And would you speak to every soul here or online in a way that's very specific and tailored just for them? Jesus, have your way right now. We submit to you. We submit to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 8, beloved. We'll be in verse 27. I'm reading from the ESV. There's some choices that the disciples are going to have to make right now. And the first choice is this. Is their relationship with Jesus, is their understanding of Jesus going to be based upon personal experience or other people's opinions? I have it for you on the screen. First choice, personal experience or other people's opinions. Look with me at chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, another say Elijah, another say one of the prophets. Verse 29, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. He strictly charged them to tell no one about it. So if you remember, Jesus just healed the blind man and showed the disciples that this blind man had more faith than them. This man who can't see has more faith than them who can see. And now they're going on to this really this pagan city out by the port that's known for idolatry. This city is as far from God as it could be. And on the way there, he asked them, man, who do people say that I am? Who do your coworkers, your family members, who do they say that I am? And what we realize is everyone has a take on who Jesus is. If you went up and down Michigan Ave this morning, you would get a hundred different responses. If I had a microphone and a camera and said, man, who do you think, that, who do you say that Jesus is? If we just went up and down State Street or wherever, you'd have all these people with different responses. There's a lot of popular opinion on who Jesus is. And so Jesus asked them, and they give the popular opinion of their day. He said, man, some people say you're your cousin who died, John the Baptist. Because remember, everyone knew John the Baptist was a prophet. 
Some say you're Elijah because the Old Testament said that Elijah should come, he should return before the Messiah returns. People really didn't know at this point really who Jesus was. It's easy for us to look back and be like, oh, yeah, don't you know he's the Lamb of God slain? Don't you see all the things that's prophesied? They didn't really know it wasn't that clear in the beginning. Even Herod in chapter 6 thought that they were debating about is he John the Baptist or Elijah back in Mark chapter 6. Jesus says, man, what are people saying? Right now, if you went and asked your Muslim co-worker who Jesus is, your Muslim co-worker would say, oh, he's a prophet. But he's not the son of God. He's just a prophet just like you and me, like, like anybody else. Is. He's human just like you and me. If you went to the Jews right now and asked them, who is Jesus? Any devout Jew would say he's a heretic. Trust me, I've asked that question. If you have any friends who are devout Jews and you say, what do you say about Jesus? They would say, man, he was a lunatic who got a lot of our people killed and he led them astray. We're still waiting on our Messiah to come. You went and asked your next door neighbor who's a Jehovah's Witness. Who is Jesus? Do you think he's the son of God? Your Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness neighbor would say, yeah, he's the son of God, but he's not God. And by the son of God, I mean he was just the firstborn. He just created like you and me. A lot of different views. But then Jesus asked the question seriously in verse 29. But now I get that. I know what they think. Here's what I'm getting to. But who do you say that I am? Everything, just hear me, beloved, everything about your walk with Jesus is dependent upon how you answer this question. Not if you say the right theological thing, but what you really mean in your heart. Because what you're going to find is Peter said the right thing, but when his theology was tested, he bounced. I don't know that man. And so we find here, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And as I mentioned before, Jesus is, not, Jesus is a person. He is not a concept. He's not simply some idea about how you get to heaven. He's an actual historical person. And the bottom line is this morning is, who is he to you, my sister? Who is he to you, my brother? And do you know him personally? Or do you know a concept? You know, we live in a time where Opinions do matter, and I'm not saying opinions don't matter. It's the reason why you go to Yelp. Online reviews. What do y'all say about this restaurant? Do you know a good doctor I can go to? Do anybody have a good mechanic? What's a good school district that my kids can go to? We always are looking for someone else's opinions. There's nothing wrong with seeking wise counsel. But you cannot build your relationship with Jesus on the foundation of other people's opinions and other people's experiences. You can't have your mom's faith or what your wife believes or what your husband believes or what your pastor believes or what your family heritage is. This is why at Chicago West we seek to teach you the word of God. And we go verse by verse and say, here's the receipt. What you going to do with that? Do you believe it or not? And I can't make you believe it. I can't do anything in your heart. But do you believe in what you say you believe? Do you know him personally and would you bank your life on that? Bet your future on that? Is your understanding of who Jesus is based upon personal experiences or the experiences of others? 
You can't have a podcast faith. And you hear this podcast, you hear this book, what do you believe, though? And look at Peter's response. You are the Christ. The word Christ there means the anointed one, the Messiah. I believe that you're the one that we've all been waiting for to come, and you are anointed. Let me just say here, y'all, this is the first time in the Gospels, this is the first point in which human beings have an understanding of who Jesus is and say it out loud. Up until this point, only God the Father and demons have acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. When Jesus was healing the demon of the demon oppressed man, well, I know who you are. You are the Son of God. Jesus will be quiet. When Jesus was baptized, the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I well please. But outside of that, people was wrestling. Ain't that the carpenter's son? We went to high school with him. I ain't see that coming. The disciples have been confused at times and doubtful. Here's a thought to consider. I have it for you on the screen. The depth of your commitment to Jesus will only go as deep as your understanding of who he is to you personally. Let me say that again. The depth of your commitment to him will only go as deep as your understanding of who he is to you personally. And so if your understanding of who he is to you is shallow, your commitment to him will be shallow. Because when storms come, when trials come, it will test, do you really know who he is? All that stuff you just sung, okay. Peter said the right answer. As soon as them handcuffs came, I don't know that man. Let that be a word for us who know the Bible really well. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You can say all the right things. Situations will expose your theology. The first choice that the disciples have to make if they're going to continue following Jesus is, is their understanding of who he is and their relationship with him based upon personal experience or the opinions of others. And right now they said the right thing. No, I know who you is. You are the Christ. Personal experience. I've been walking with you, Jesus, okay? Well, here's the second choice they're going to have to make. Are you going to set your mind on the things of God or the things of man? Where's your mind right now? I know what you just said, but where's your mind? Where do we get that from? Look at verse 31. And he, that is Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days raised again, he starts giving them the gospel. Now notice here, Jesus, uh, Peter refers to Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And then Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. That's one of Jesus' favorite terms to refer to himself. That term, Son of Man, is this figure we find in the Old Testament. We find it in Daniel. We find it in Ezekiel. We find it in Psalms. This figure of this, old, this, this, this term that uh, identifies a heavenly figure who will come at the end time and bring the kingdom of God to the oppressed on earth. We see this in Daniel chapter 7 about how the Son of Man comes 
and he brings uh, the kingdom of God to the earth, and Jesus says, that's me. Yes, I'm the Messiah, and everything that you've heard about this person who was to come and bring the kingdom of God here, that is me. But now Jesus is expanding their interpretation of what they think this guy is supposed to be doing. He says, I know you think I'm supposed to come and free you from the Romans and all the racial tension that's going on right now, but I've come to suffer, to set you free from sin. And they have no concept for that. Jesus preaches the gospel to his disciples in verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. I'm going to be killed, going to be crucified, and after three days I'm going to be raised again. And look at verse 32. Look at Peter's response. He said this, and he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is insane. They said the right answer, you're the Christ, and clearly they don't understand what the Christ is supposed to do. And Jesus begins explaining to them that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die on the cross, and in three days be raised, and Peter's first response is, can I talk to you for a minute? It says he pulls him to the side. At least Peter had respect. I ain't going to do this in front of everybody. But can you come here for a minute? And it says, and he began to rebuke him. That Greek word for rebuke has so far in Mark been used for rebuking demons and rebuking the storm. That Greek word for rebuke is the same Greek word that we find in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, and Mark chapter 3, verse 12, when Jesus rebukes the demons, tells them to keep silent. It's the same Greek word we find in Mark chapter 4 when it says he rebuked the storm. It's a very strong word. And it means that Peter was rejecting Jesus' interpretation that the Messiah would be a suffering figure, and he was correcting Jesus on it. He pulled Jesus to the side and started checking him. Man, the flesh is something else. Do you see yourself in Peter? Have you ever pulled God to the side and start rebuking him? He tells you the plan. You don't like it. Just dump on him. There's two things we can learn here real quick. One is Jesus preached the gospel to his own disciples and got rebuked for it. Be encouraged. The very people who were taking the gospel to the nations first rebuked Jesus for telling them that. The very gospel that saved them. And so if you go to a family member or a loved one and you get rebuked for preaching the gospel, then Jesus got rebuked by the disciples. But also the second thing we can learn is that Peter and the disciples have no theological concept for a Messiah who suffers and dies. Because that means if Jesus is going to suffer and we're following him, what does that mean for us? Sit with that tension for a minute, beloved. If your Savior was rejected and suffered, what makes you exempt? What gives you a pass? If the very people he was called to rejected him and he died for them, what gives you a pass? And look at Jesus' response in verse 33. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he turns to his disciples and said, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is where we get our point. Jesus sees Satan at work through Peter's ignorance. Don't let the enemy use you. Peter probably thought he was right and he was wrong. Jesus knows that Satan was seeking to block the works of God. He's always trying to block the work of God. Remember how Jesus' ministry begins with him in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by the enemy. Satan doesn't want the cross to happen. He doesn't want you to be forgiven. And so Peter getting in the way of that, he's like, no, Peter, you letting the enemy use you right now. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus points out Satan's activities that he's at work, and he describes the method that Satan is working right now to use through Peter. Notice in verse 33, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. The tool that Satan is using, human thinking. What was driving Peter's response was his human understanding his human temporary desires, his feelings, and not fully considering God's eternal purposes. He wasn't seeing with spiritual eyes. He wasn't thinking with a spiritual mind. He just went according to his flesh. Hold on, I left everything for you. I remember Peter was married. I left my wife, man. I left my fishing business. And you going to go to a cross and die? I ain't signed up for this. That's not how it's supposed to go. That's not my interpretation of Scripture. One of the ways that Satan uses us to be a stumbling block to the work of God in others is by making temporal achievements our highest pursuit. The things of man. The things of this world. Let me just tell you, beloved, Satan is content with you going to church and reading your Bible if your motivations and pursuits throughout the week are rooted in the things of man and the things of the world and not the things of God. Man, she could read the word all day long. He go to church all day Sunday, but if, if from Monday to Saturday, her mind or his mind is set on the things of man, I'm cool with that. He know you're going to glory anyway. He can't stop that, but if your mind can be set on the wrong things throughout the week, he's okay with that. The choice that the disciples have to make right now is, will you set your mind on the things of God or the things of man? And here's the truth for all of us to wrestle with. Every situation that you face has a man-centered approach and a God-centered approach. Every situation. Your job, how you view your job, your relationships, conflict that you're in, decisions. The man-centered approach asks this. The man-centered approach says, how does this exalt and advance me? That's the man-centered approach. How does this exalt and advance me? The God-centered approach asks, how does this exalt and advance God? Two different approaches to your job, two different approaches to where you move, two different approaches to conflict and how you handle it. How does this exalt and advance me, or how does this exalt and advance God? Let me ask you a question. In all honesty, O disciple of Christ, what gets you out of bed every day? 
What is your life honestly about? We did your funeral today. Her life was about what? His life was about what? Getting up and going to work every day? What is your purpose in life? This is what Jesus is cutting to the core of why they even exist. How you think. I can tell you this, I've said it many times, we all have the same purpose in Christ. To love and know God and enjoy him and help others do the same. That is why you exist. To know and love God and help others do the same. Now how you flesh that out, whether it's in a hospital or as a school teacher, where you work, where you live, everything is the same. For you to love and know God with all your heart, mind, and soul, Jesus told you. The highest command is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, meaning want for them what you would want for yourself. And so Jesus already told you up front. He said, all the law and prophets, all the scripture lands on these two things. So what motivates your thought, your mind? Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.8. He said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, Paul, you ain't got your PhD. Don't mean nothing to me. Don't matter my job, anything that you could say that was an achievement, I consider it a loss in comparison to knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, not my own, not my ego, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I not only did I lose them, but I count them as rubbish in comparison to knowing him. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. My hope isn't in my degree. It's not in my retirement fund. It's not in who I marry or where I live or what my health looks like or who is president. Everything is, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. Crucified with Christ. Jesus is telling them that he is headed for suffering and rejection. If they are going to follow him, they have to make a choice. Set their minds on the things of God or on the things of man. And here's the last choice they have to make. Will they choose the cross or comfort? Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him. With his disciples. Now imagine this. Peter pulls him to the side, tries to rebuke Jesus. Jesus sees the disciples, rebukes Peter in front of him, and get behind me, Satan. You just think about man-centered, worldly things, not the things of God. You're not driven by the will of God. Then he says, everybody, come here. All of you that's standing around, come here. And then he says, verse 34. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Stop right there. He says, if you want to keep following me, 
take up your cross. In other points, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, let me just be clear to you. The cross that Jesus is talking about is not the trials of life. When you can't stand your boss. Being a difficult time trying to find a good school for your kids to get into. Your car has been having problems. Let me just bear my cross. That's not the cross. That's life. Everybody catch that whether they know Jesus or not. You can't call the trials of life the cross. That's not what he's talking about. The cross that he's referring to is all that comes with denying yourself for his sake. All the suffering that comes with being obedience to him. That's the cross. Are you willing to be misunderstood for Christ? Spit upon and rejected for Christ? Are you willing to be abandoned by your family and your friends and the people you love because of your obedience to Christ? Are you willing to wash the feet of a Peter or share a meal with Judas for Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for people who don't like you for Christ? Are you willing to suffer so that others may live and have eternal life for Christ? Are you willing to suffer so that other people may grow in maturity in Christ because growing takes a long time? You can't say yes, then you haven't picked up the cross that Jesus is talking about. Jesus calls for a choice. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life, listen, for my sake and the gospel will save it. Notice, for my sake and the gospel. Meaning that the cross you're carrying is because of standing for Christ and the gospel. So you have two choices, Jesus says. You can choose the cross, which leads to life, or you can choose self-preservation, which leads to death. Will you choose the cross or comfort? Let me just make a plug there. This is why prosperity preachers are so demonic. And some of you are like, well, I grew up in that church. It's demonic. The prosperity gospel calls for you to lay down your cross and pick up a Rolls Royce. Change in your cross for a mansion. And the way you do it is by sowing a seed and having some faith. Man-centered. Jesus says in verse 36, because he knows they're dealing with the tension of this, verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? For what can a man or woman give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, notice how Jesus terms the world in the time, it's adulterous and sinful. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I love that. Whoever is ashamed of me, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So Jesus says here in verse 36 through verse 38, what does it profit you if you gain everything this world has to offer and lose your soul? What are you chasing, beloved, so desperately that is worth your soul and the soul of others? Can we put it in slang terms? You can't chase the bag and chase God at the same time. 
Like, what that mean? For some of y'all, that means money. It means money. The bag is a modern way of saying money. Money. Now, you like, in your flesh, you go, well, can't you do both? No, you can't. Jesus said you can't have two masters in Mark 6 and Luke 16. He said you can't worship God and money. You can't serve both. You'll either love one and despise the other. What drives you? Maybe so much of our frustrations may be tied to the fact that we are so busy pursuing things that God doesn't view as a priority and chasing after personal goals that may be good in of themselves, but it's not God's will for us. Can I ask you a question? What could God do with your life if you would choose the cross over comfort? I'm telling you, beloved. The things that God could do with your life if you couldn't be swayed or bought by anything. Like if you're like, man, I am, I am just sold out to the will of God. That means I'm going to be stepped upon, spit upon, I'm going to be suffering, but it's called the cross. For the glory of Christ and the good of his people. That's what Paul did. You know, it's a great example of this. Moses. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says about Moses. Hebrews 11, 24, 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You got to remember, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, had money, went to the best schools, and said, I consider suffering with God's people. Oh, the ones who are stoning you, Moses, who are critiquing you, the one who are questioning your leadership, I'd rather suffer with them for the glory of God than to sit in Pharaoh's house. Because my allegiance is to Yahweh. That's why I sit on Mount Sinai with him so much. Can you say the same? Are you so in love with the world? Is your ego so great that you can't pick up a cross at all because how dare someone talk to you in a way you don't like? Are you too good to wash Judas's feet or share a meal with Peter when you know he's about to reject you? Jesus said, y'all, if you're going to walk with me, you got to pick up your cross. If everyone in this room right now said, man, I am picking up my cross for the glory of Christ, revival will come to Chicago like that. The problem we have today is we have so many Christians who worship Christ over the cross, but they don't got a cross on their arms. They ain't carrying nothing. I want you to make a choice today. And here's a prayer. It's written by F.B. Meyer, a preacher from the 1800s, thinking about what it means to be completely given to the Lord. He says this, Lord Jesus, I am yours by right. Forgive me that I have lived so long as if I were my own. I now gladly recognize that you have a rightful claim on all that I have and am. I want to live as yours from this time forth. And at this time, I solemnly give myself to you 
yours in life and death, yours absolutely and forever. I want to close this time by having you just bow your heads. David in humility said, search me, O God, and know me. Search my heart. This message is not about me, but I want you to be real with God. He sees you right now. What have you been setting your mind on lately? The things of God or the things of man? Have you been pulling Jesus to the side lately and rebuking him? Have you been chasing everything else except him? Are you saying the right answers, but life is showing that your theology is not matching up with what you're singing about? Let's make it plain. Are you choosing comfort over the cross? You take great pride in saying, can't nobody talk to me like that. God forbid somebody rejects the gospel that you bring to them. Are there people you won't share a meal with? You won't pray for? God's calling you to something deeper, my brother. I want to pray that prayer again by F.B. Meyer. And with your heads bowed, if you agree, that's where you are in your heart, say amen. Lord Jesus, I am yours by right. You paid for me with your own blood. Forgive me that I have lived so long as if I were my own. I now gladly recognize that you have a rightful claim on all that I have and all that I am. I want to live as yours from this time forth. And at this time, I solemnly give myself to you. I am yours in life and I am yours in death. Yours absolutely and forever. God, we thank you for your word. Help us to be able to say with Paul that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You loved me. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Service. Join us next week.